Thank you, Gaines and Esther and Katie. You know, it's, um, it's strange not singing, but there is something that has been unusually, um, I don't know, satisfying, I guess. And it feel, just feels a little more intimate and, I don't know, just special in a different way. If you have ju- uh, your Bibles, find Judges, please, chapter 4, and we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 15. If you were here last week or saw on uh, TV or on the, online, you know that we're celebrating, uh, we're celebrating women in August. Back in the spring when it dawned on me that um, in August we'd be celebrating the centennial of the women's uh, right to vote. Of course, the 19th Amendment ratified in August of 1920. I thought, well, this would be a fun time to celebrate women, to look at what the Bible says about women and women in the Bible and, and what the Bible says about a woman's place in society, in the home, in the church, and all that. So this, is, this, has, been a, this has been a fun couple of weeks preparing, and I'm looking forward uh, to uh, the next three weeks. Judges 4, and we're going to read uh, beginning at verse 1. And if I read a, a, a name or a word real fast, that means I don't know how to pronounce it. So you'll know what that, what that means. Again, and that's a, boy, that's a loaded word. We'll come back to talk about it. This is a recurring theme in the life of Israel during the period of the judges. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that Ehud, Ehud was the judge that preceded Deborah, now that he was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harosheth Hagoyim, because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, and as Mandy said a while ago, a prophet is one who hears from and speaks for God. A prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. By the way, I... <clears throat> They, the other prophets just gave their names. They didn't say, you know, Ehud, the husband of, but this was a different day, so we got to know who Deborah's husband is. Uh, Deborah, the um, prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel. She was the judge at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you ten thousand men of Naphtali and Zebulon, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Zebulon and Naphtali and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zananim near Kadesh. When they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned from Harosheth Hagoyim to the Kishon River all his men and his 900 chariots fitted with iron. 
Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Deborah lived and led in a world dominated by men. Women were known by who they were married to, not for uh, who they were. It was the period of the judges. There were 12 uh, judges, Deborah being the only female. It was a time, uh, an unfortunate time in Israel's history with a rec this recurring pattern of rebellion, ruin, Repentance and restoration, rebellion. They would rebel. They would embrace the practices of their neighbors, the, the immoral and sinful practices of their neighbors. They would rebel. And then would come ruin, almost always under the hands of an invading army. So God would lift his hand of protection and invading armies, like the Hazarites, would come in and oppress. They'd occupy Israel and they would pay for their sins. Then would come their repentance. They would cry out to God, we're sorry, we shouldn't have done that, we'll change, we'll be different. And, and they would repent, they would turn, and then would come their restoration. God would restore their crops and their riches and their health. And so it was, it was this recurring pattern of rebellion, ruin, repentance, and restoration. Remember that the, the ruin almost always came at the hands of foreign armies. God would send in people like the Hazarites to occupy Israel, to bring them to their knees and back to God. When I thought about occupying armies coming in to bring Israel to its knees, I thought about a story that Ray Jones tells in his book, The Farm at Jones Valley. You know that beautiful farm over there in Jones Valley? Well, Ray uh, Jones says that when his father, Carl, as in Carl T. Jones, when Carl was leaving for World War II, he called Ray, who, who was then a little boy, in, and, um, and, and um, Larkin. Larkin was the guy that ran the farm. And so Carl called Ray in and Larkin, and he said, now, Ray, I'm going to be gone for a while, and I don't know how long I'll be gone, and you may grow to be a big boy before I come back. While I'm gone, Larkin is going to be the one to spank you. He said, now, he will spank you only as often as Mama said, and only as says, and only as severe as Mama says. But I want you to remember, when Larkin is spanking you, it's not Larkin, it's me. You understand? And he did. And and Ray writes that, that Larkin only had to spank him a few times, always at his mother's instruction. And Larkin would always say, now Bubba, remember that this ain't me, that this is your mama and daddy. I always think about that when I think of these invading armies that come in at God's direction. He's used, they are merely tools of his correction. Well, Deborah lived in the time when the Hazarites had come in to bring Israel to its knees and back to God. This was the time of the judges. You'll remember if you've been around church a while, a judge in, 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 this, in this case was not uh, a man or a woman in a black robe in a, in a courtroom. This was like the judicial branch, the executive branch, and the legislative branch of government all in one person. Plus, they were the spiritual 
leader. So this was Deborah. The Hazarites for 20 years have been occupying Israel. God raises up Deborah. Now, how did she get the job? We don't know. The Bible simply says in Judges 2, I think it's verse 16, that God raised up judges. So this is by divine appointment, but how did they know? Did she say God has called? How did they know she was to be the, the judge? We can only guess, but would you imagine something with, with me? Would you imagine the search committee for the judge? If you've been on the search committee, you know how this works. They prayed and they fasted and they looked at all the resumes. Some of them had sent their resumes in. Uh, others, sometimes people would send in a resume on behalf of someone else. And so they looked at all the potential candidates. And after weeks and months of fasting and praying and, and looking at the qualifications of all the candidates, they came to the clear conclusion that Deborah was the one that God was calling to be the next judge. And so imagine with me that the chair of the search committee called uh, Lapidoth, that was Deborah's husband, you might remember from the text, Lapidoth was Deborah's husband. So the chair of the search committee calls their house and he says, this is uh, Joseph ben Jacob and I'm the chair of the, search, the judge search committee and we would like to come over to your house and talk with you and Deborah. And I imagine Lapidoth saying, wow, we'd be, we'd be honored to host you. And he hung up the phone and he turned to Deborah and he said, you're not going to believe this, but the search committee has chosen me to be the next judge of Israel. And she was so proud of him. And, and so the search committee showed up and, and she, she entertained them with the bagels and lemonade. And after some small talk, Jacob ben Joseph began to speak, the chair of the search committee. And he said, we've been fasting and we've been praying and we are certain that God has led us to the person he wants to be the next judge. And Lapidoth began by saying, well, I just want to tell you how humbled I am by this and how grateful I am. And, and I never dreamed this would happen, but I believe with God's help. Wait, I'm sorry, Lapidoth said, Jacob ben Joseph, the chair of the search committee. We're not here to talk to you. We're here actually to talk to Deborah, to Deborah, a woman. I imagine that his male ego was crushed at that point. Some of you may have seen the movie The Incredibles 2. It's an animated movie about this family that looked from the outside like just your normal family, husband and wife, and um, Bob and Helen Parr, and their three children. But they're actually superheroes. They all five have superpowers. He is Mr. Incredible. She is Elastiwoman. She can stretch. And so... The superheroes in the movie, they're kind of falling out of fashion. But there's this billionaire who wants to fund the superheroes again. Uh, the, 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 the Incredibles and all the other, Mr. Freeze or whatever, all these, all, Mr. Ice or whatever his name was, all these superheroes. And so he says, I need a, I need a face of the supers, as they're called, the superheroes. I need a point guard. I need someone who will represent all the other superheroes. And, and Mr. Incredible is certain that it's going to be him. But when he chooses, when the billionaire chooses Mrs. Parr, Elastiwoman, to be the face of the superheroes, it's just really hard on Mr. Incredible. He tries to be supportive, but he's, he can't help being jealous because Elastiwoman is off 
fighting crime and getting her name in the paper when he's home with the kids. And it just about killed him. I can't say for sure, of course, but my hunch is Labadoth was like Mr. Incredible, trying to be, trying to be supportive. But it could not have been easy to be the first, first husband in the history of, um, of Israel. Well, back to, back to Deborah. <clears throat> the search committee was there talking to them and, and saying, Deborah, we want you to be the next judge. Can you imagine her response? She must have said, have you really thought this through? After all, have you looked around? This is a patriarchal culture. Men are in charge of everything. I'm a, I'm a woman. You're going to catch Sheol for putting me forth, and, and I'm going to catch Sheol too for, being, for volunteering. And, and they said, we fasted and we prayed, and we're, we're certain. Can you imagine the press conference when they were going to introduce her? So that, you know, Lapidoth and Deborah and the search committee are up on the platform. The press are all there, as well as leading citizens of Israel and, the, and, and, and Jacob Bard, uh, whatever his name was, I made up a while ago, the chair of the search committee. He's up there and he announces, your next judge is, and they expect it to be Lapidoth, and he says, your next judge is Deborah. And there's a, there's a gasp. There's sideways glances and eyebrows are raised. Finally, there's a polite applause, but all the, all the reporters are, are texting or calling their bosses to say the next judge of Israel is a woman. Deborah was an unlikely hero. But God always has specialized in using unlikely people to do unprecedented things. Women always seem to have, not always, but often seem to have the odds stacked against them. Women who really want to stay home and take care of the kids often have people question, why don't you have any ambition? Women who follow a career path have people question why they aren't home with the kids and preparing their husband's dinner. Women who speak up are often labeled as strong-willed or bossy. Women who rise to high levels of leadership in industry seem to have, have to work twice as hard as uh, men to get the same respect. Women who say they've been called to ministry often are told they misunderstood God's voice. But God always has specialized in using unlikely people to do unprecedented things. Back to Deborah. Remember, she was... She rose to power during the time of the Hazarites. Deborah and Barak marched out, though. Barak was the general. She said, God has spoken. Let's go get the Hazarites. And so they marched out, and they met the Hazarites at the foot of Mount Tabor. The Hazarites, because God, because God was on the side of the Israelites, the Hazarites were defeated. They were swept away, the Bible says, all their chariots by the river Kishon. I want us for the next few moments to focus on two really important words in verse 9 of Judges 4. And those two words are, Deborah went. Deborah went. Deborah said to Barak, the general of the, of the military, prepare the army. We're going to go fight the Hazarites. Barak answered, if you go, I will go. But if you don't go, I'm not going. 
I think those were not the words of a coward. I think those were the wise words of a man who knew that his ragtag army was no match for the military juggernaut of the Hazerites. They would have no chance against the Hazerites without the blessing of the Creator. And so he wanted this anointed woman, this woman on whom God had smiled, to go, to go with him. And she said, I will go, but you know, you're not going to get the honor for this. God will deliver the, the people of Hazor into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went. When the story of your life is written, will it read, he went, or she went, or will it read, he tended to stay home where things were safe? She tended to stay home where things were safe. Deborah went, when it would have been much easier just to send Barak, when it would have been much easier to stay back and hold court, Deborah went. Some of you know uh, the incomparable Barbara Joyner, the late Barbara Joyner. She was one of the most popular speakers at WMU Women's Missionary Union uh, events uh, ever, one of the best speakers I ever have heard has had more unusual things happen to her than I think anybody I know. She writes in her book, Count It All Joy, about her first WMU, or Woman's Missionary Union, annual meeting in Alabama. It was down in Tuscaloosa, at First Baptist Tuscaloosa. She was late arriving, had not been really involved in WMU, Woman's Missionary Union. In those days, those events were packed, and she got there late and had to sit on the very last row of the balcony. Mary Essie Stevens, the legend, the executive director of Woman's Missionary Union in Alabama. Mary Essie Stevens stepped to the pulpit and said, friends, I have a burden. There's a big trip to Pittsburgh that's coming up in three days and we don't have enough people to go. Would you join me in praying that God would call out women to go? So Barbara bowed her head and she prayed, God call out women to go. When they broke for lunch, immediately, Mary Essie Stevens pointed at Barbara on the last row of the balcony, mouthed her name, and motioned for her to come down. Now, Barbara, again, was not all that involved in WMU at this point. So she didn't know what that was about. When she got down to the platform, Mary Essie Stevens said, Barbara, someone has paid for you and has named you specifically, has paid for you to go to Pittsburgh on this trip. And they're leaving in three days. Well, Barbara said, I'm not going. I haven't planned it. I'm not going. I don't to go to Pittsburgh. And she went home and talked to Homer, her husband. They lived down in Columbiana, by the way. Went back to Columbiana and told Homer that night that Mary S.C. Stevens said she was supposed to go to Pittsburgh. Leaving in three days. Homer said, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you just pray for those things? Tell God the things you would have to have in order to go to Pittsburgh. And if he supplies them. I think, you, I think you ought to go. Well, she agreed, and next morning began uh, to pray. She listed four things, by the way. She said, that, God, if I go to Pittsburgh, I need someone to keep the kids. She had two little girls, and this was 1969, before men could do anything. And so she said, I need, I'll need someone to keep the girls. And two, she said, I'll need a robe. They were going to sleep four to a room to save money, and she didn't have any kind of robe, and that would be terribly improper in 1969. She didn't have a robe. 
And she said, I need, I need two new blouses. She confessed how small and limited her wardrobe, her closet was. Somebody to keep the kids in a robe and two new blouses. And then the most interesting one, she said, I need something for Jackie's hair for Easter. Jackie was one of her little girls. And um, so they were going to go to Pittsburgh, come back on Saturday, before the, the day before Easter, and she had nothing for Jackie's hair. Remember, it's 1969. That was a big deal to have something for the girl's hair at, at Easter. Somebody to keep the kids a robe, two, blou- two blouses, and, um, and something for Jackie's hair. She knelt in the bath, excuse me, the kitchen, she said. She knelt in the kitchen, and she was praying, listing these things, when Ludie Jones called on the phone. And Ludie Jones said, Barbara, I've been praying. I've been, I just was telling, uh, telling the Lord I wanted to do something for him. And he spoke right out loud and said, well, you could keep Barbara's children. Barbara answered, well, Ludie, I, I may be going to Pittsburgh. If I go to Pittsburgh, could you keep the girls? God answers prayer, says Ludie. Barbara fell back to her knees on the kitchen floor. And she was praying again when the doorbell rang. This time it was Mildred Wallace. Mildred had a big box in her arms. Mildred said, my daughter gave me this robe and it's the ugliest robe. And I thought of somebody who would appreciate a robe this ugly. And I thought of you. (laughs) Barbara thought it was beautiful. Somebody keep the kids a robe, two blouses and something for Jackie's hair. She fell back to her knees on the floor of the kitchen again. She's smiling by now as she prays. She was praying in the kitchen when the doorbell rang the second time. This time it was Mabel, Barbara's sister-in-law. She had a Penny Palmer bag. Anybody remember Penny Palmer? It was a big fancy women's store in Birmingham, and I had to Google it in 1969. She had a Penny Palmer bag, and Mabel, her sister-in-law, said, These blouses are so big they swallow me. I tried to think of someone big enough to wear them, and I thought of you. (laughs) Barbara said they didn't swallow her, and she liked the blouses. All that was left was something for Jackie's hair. Somebody take care of the kids. Robe, two blouses. And you're getting ahead of me. She was on her knees in the kitchen again when the doorbell rang the third time. It was Lucy Turner. Lucy Turner was holding a little tiara. Jackie, Barbara's daughter, had been in Lucy Turner's daughter's wedding a few months earlier. She'd been the flower girl. And all the bridesmaids and the flower girls had worn the same little tiara decorated with ribbons. And and, and Lucy Turner said, you know, I just had this strange feeling that, that Jackie might want this for Easter. At the conclusion of her chapter, telling that story and counted all joy. She said, when I got on the bus two days later, I knew there was nothing impossible with God. Barbara went. Deborah went. When the story of your life is told, will it say he went, she went, or will it say he or she stayed home where it was comfortable? Shelly Collins was living in Los Angeles. She was in her mid-30s, never had been married, but wanted to be married, was looking forward to the time when she would meet the man that she would marry. But all along, she was feeling this tug, this prompting from the creator of the universe to go as a missionary to the Muslim world. 
She spoke with her pastor, Irwin, and, and he encouraged her, although others discouraged her, and she, she volunteered. She said, God, I will go. So she came to Richmond, Virginia, where the International Mission Board has its uh, training place for new missionaries. And so Shelley Collins was at the International Mission Board's uh, Missionary Learning Center and she met a young man named Steve. Steve and his wife had been missionaries in Korea, but his wife had died from cancer. And she, Shelley met Steve, and you're getting ahead of me again. Steve and Shelley fell in love. And Steve and Shelley McCord went uh, overseas and served. When I met them, they were back in Richmond. He was on the staff of the International Mission Board, members of the church I served. In, in Richmond. I knew them as a couple. I didn't know their story, but they had been out to California and they met with um, her former pastor out there, Erwin McManus, a popular pastor and writer. And uh, they had gotten one of his books and asked him to sign it for me. I, I had not known their story. I knew them together, but until I finally got around to reading the book, that's where I learned the story of how they got together about her Going, being willing to go as a missionary, a single missionary, and, and the fact that she wouldn't have met Steve had she not volunteered to go. And in the front of the book, uh, he signed, uh, To Travis, risk everything. I read that twice. Risk everything. Barbara went, Shelley went, Deborah went. When the last chapter of your life is written, will it be said of you, he went? Or he kind of played it safe because he was afraid? Will it say of you, she went? Or she remained where it was more comfortable? Will it say of you, he or she was willing to enter the arena when others were sitting in the, in the spectator's stands giving commentary and pointing out what he or she was doing wrong? Or will it say of you, will it say of you that you went or will it say of you that you stayed home? God is at work in the world and he needs the Barbaras and the Shelleys and the Debras and the yous and the me's to join him, even where it's risky. When the final chapter of your life is written, will it be said of you, he went or she went or stayed where things were easy? You can pray about that while Esther plays. And after she plays, we'll have our deacon and the closing prayer.